Amen. All right. I've been preaching about <clears throat> revival. I've been talking about the condition of our nation. You don't even have to read the headlines to know that there's been a lot of turbulent things taking place in the United States of America. Without a question, we have gone through a season where it has caused people to question what side of the political fence you stand on. It has caused us to question where are we heading. We've seen aspects of America like we haven't seen it for many years. And without a question, I hope it causes every Christian to cry out and say, Jesus, we need you. Amen. I've said many times from this pulpit over the last couple of years, politics isn't the issue. Sin is the issue, and the only answer to sin is what God can do. You can legislate one great idea, and another guy will come in as president and unlegislate that great idea. And for the last, I don't know, I think 12 elections, uh, the president has been chosen by uh, the popular majority, which has never been more than 5%. And so this nation teeter-totters on the opinion of uh, 5% that finally pulls the vote one way or the other. But the church of Jesus Christ is far more powerful than our right to vote. What we can do in the Spirit, who we are because of Jesus Christ, what happens when the church starts to touch heaven is supernatural. In fact, when the church starts to touch heaven, heaven starts to touch the earth. And that's what revivals are about. A move of God so supernatural that sometimes it's difficult to explain. In fact, the best way to explain what happens in revivals is to actually read stories or listen to statistics of outcomes after there has been a visitation of the Holy Spirit. And so in this series, in my... Uh, desire to stir our hearts to pray and to hunger for a great outpouring again of the Holy Spirit. I've been sharing some of the history of the United States of America. I stand unapologetic when I say it's not the right political party or the left political party that's going to bring the kind of change to America that we need. What will bring the change that we need is the church of Jesus Christ becoming transparent, becoming honest, becoming sincere with ourselves and with our God and getting in a place of humble worship where as we cry out to God, God starts to move from heaven. Now, either we believe what God says or we don't. God... Uh, told Solomon, he said, when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and they will pray and they will turn from their sins, I will hear from heaven. Revivals are the result of people groups humbling themselves, turning from their sins, crying out to God, sometimes in the darkest of times. And the end result is a move of the Holy Spirit and it brings transformation. It's like a cultural reset. How many of you would agree? Putting politics aside, we need a cultural reset. Absolutely. I've been reading the scripture, Acts 3.19. <clears throat> the beginning of modern revivals, the New Testament, the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and he starts preaching and he says, repent. You will never have a move of God if you continue to be stuck in your carnal, sinful, selfish, prideful, arrogant, stubborn ways. We won't. You know, all God wants is a bit of honesty. You know, in most relationships, nobody really expects the other person to be perfect. But they really do expect the other person to be transparent. Transparency is the thing that endears us to one another. 
And transparency is one of the hardest things to come to because we're so afraid of rejection. What I love about repentance, it says, God, I'm going to be transparent with you. And I'm going to take stock of the things I'm doing wrong. And I'm going to be honest. You already know it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because I believe that when I repent, you will love me even more and cleanse me and set me free from the things that have a hold on my life. We've often heard of repentance almost in a scary context. And uh, we've, we've had drummed up pictures of John the Baptist preaching fiery sermons of condemnation. Listen, I, I love the grace of God, but I don't want to abuse the grace of God. Many of you have been gracious to me. Hopefully I've been gracious to you. But when someone is gracious to you, do you deliberately set it in your heart <clears throat> that because they're a gracious person, you're going to take advantage of that? And yet sometimes in the culture of Christianity today, we take advantage of the graciousness of God. The problem is that when we abuse God's grace and take advantage of it, God is smart enough to step back from the scene the scenario of our lives because God will not be made a fool of. Uh, that's pretty quiet. Can I get an agreement? God will not be made a fool of. I found God to be very gracious and very patient, but God is also holy and he's righteous. He's, when we're quick to repent, he's quick to forgive. Grace is not an excuse to continue sinning. Grace is the reason why we are more diligent about getting our lives in order so that we don't offend the one who has graciously covered us during our mistakes. Yes? John says this, don't you know that it's God's kindness he uses the word kindness. It's, it's an attribute of grace. Grace is when God is kind to us even though we don't deserve it. From Australia, we had seen revival in Australia, amazing things. In fact, during this Jesus movement revival, which started on the West Coast in California, it went around the world. It affected us in Australia. And uh, I was... I was touched by it and moved by it and involved with it in Australia. <clears throat> and what happens in revival is that the spiritual atmosphere starts to break open, but not only in one location. It starts to break open in many locations. And so some of the stories I've shared with you in the past about my personal life and revivals that we've seen uh, happened during the Jesus movement, and we were having the fallout of it in Australia. Okay, I lived there for 29 years. And uh, how many of you are old enough here, uh, you don't have to put your hands up, but to remember the Jesus movement that took place in this nation? I am curious, though. Raise your hand. How many of you remember that? Well, I used to, you know, in the Jesus movement, uh, they had these T-shirts with a fist like this, and it was one way. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we had these T-shirts, and on the front it said, Jesus loves you, and on the back it had the one-way symbol. And we used to wear them and go out street witnessing and, and, and stuff like that. And there was just a powerful move of God that was taking place. But before I get into what that revival did, for you to appreciate what that revival did, I want to illustrate to you what a place of darkness the United States of America was in. Because I really do believe that we are in a dark place. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I believe there's a hope. I believe there's an answer. But it's not in politics. It's in the church of Jesus Christ. 
I believe God's got something up his sleeve and if the church comes into agreement and we start pushing into God and we put away some of our carnal materialistic attitudes, we'll start to have a bonafide move of the Holy Spirit in this nation. How many of you want to see the Holy Spirit sweep across the United States of America and make us one again, but more than anything, make the church a powerful Holy Ghost place? Amen. Absolutely. And listen, while I say across the United States of America, Jesus said, my Father's house is a house of prayer for the nations. And so... Whether it's communist Russia, communist China, or nations that have ideologies very contrary to us, the best way to win the war is by letting the Holy Spirit be prayed through into these countries so that they have moves of God as well. Can I get an agreement? Uh, that was pretty weak. I said, can I get an agreement? Absolutely. So I want to talk about a period in time, uh, the 60s here in the United States. And the 60s came and started with a carryover from the civil rights struggle of the 50s. And the civil rights issues played a very important part of our history and an important part of the political and social climate that was evolving here in the United States. As soon as we turned into the 60s, on October the 16th to October the 28th, we went through, in 1962, what is known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, I'm only going to give brief headlines. There's always stories behind the stories, and there's reasons for this and reasons for that. I'm barely going to touch the headlines because I want to paint a picture of the climate that was in America and how desperate things got and how revival affected the nation after that. So in October 16th to 28th of 1962, we had a national crisis. Our, our, um, <clears throat> our sources informed us through aerial photographs that Russia, the Soviet, had teamed up with uh, Fidel Castro, and Fidel had allowed Russia to start building uh, nuclear missile sites on, in Cuba and uh, just hundreds of miles away uh, from our border, and it caused a panic right across the nation. On August the 28th of 1963, there was a gathering at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, and Martin Luther stood up and addressed the nation. Over 250,000 people were in attendance, and this is where he gave that brilliant speech, uh, I have a dream. And if you've never read it, what eloquence, what, what prose and poetry. I read it again just in recent days and I thought, my goodness, this guy had to have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen, absolutely. And thank God for a movement like that that started and to help bring a change to mentalities that are contrary to God's mentality. God so loved the world. It doesn't matter what shade of brown or yellow or white you are. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's one price for redeeming mankind. And it's the same price whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, or whether you're Asian. Can I get an agreement? And that same price is the blood of Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a shout if you're in agreement. <clears throat> that was in 63, August 28th. He gave that brilliant speech, September the 15th, 1963. Many of you may not be aware of this, but we had what is uh, termed the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. Four Klansmen put 19 sticks of dynamite underneath the church steps. And they detonated that dynamite and four African-American girls suddenly 
lost their lives. 14 people were injured. This is the, the climate of the nation. In 1963, the Supreme Court had removed Bible reading from our public schools. In November 22, 1963, the President of the United States of America, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated. On August the 7th, I was five years old, I remember that day. And uh, I know that's dating me, but I was five years old. I remember uh, being in school and the panic that went through the schools and teachers weeping in the halls and parents coming to pick up their children from school early. I remember all the, the newsreel media on TV and the absolute confusion and horror that it caused in our nation. August the 7th, 1964, we landed on Vietnam and that started the Vietnam War which gave way to so many protests over the years from draft dodging and draft card burning protests all over this country. This was the climate I'm building up to God's response. October the 16th, 1964, we were alarmed because China had tested their own nuclear bomb, had let a nuclear bomb off. By 1965, May 5th, in the University of California, Berkeley, several hundred young people were protesting the draft card and 40 young men burned their draft cards and media was just filled with events like this. It was happening in New York. It was happening all over the country. In 1966, at the height of the Beatles, they had become a phenomenon and uh, they were traveling, touring incessantly and in... Uh, uh, <clears throat> March 1966, John Lennon made a comment to a news reporter in Britain. And he said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. So far, he's still wrong. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know what will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. That was in May 1966, August the 29th of 1966. The Beatles concluded their last tour ever. There was such an outrage to that comment that they never toured again anywhere in the world. April 1966, Time Magazine had a front cover, and uh, that front cover posed the question, is God dead? There was a movement amongst theologians that God was dead. And so the Time Magazine had taken this up, and they posed it as a question. And uh, again, it caused quite a bit of a reaction in the United States of America, but what it was doing was showing what the spiritual climate of the nation was. Things were changing. In uh, January 14, 1967, 30,000 hippies, 30,000 hippies assembled in San Francisco at the Golden Gate Bridge in uh, uh, Park Polo Fields for what they called the human being. It became the beginning of sit-ins, and they called this the human being. And they had different bands there, and there was an American psychologist named Timothy Leary. And he advocated to the young people of our nation that they should experiment with LSD because it would open them up to a higher level of consciousness. And so this was a period where we were rebelling against the war in Vietnam. There was racial tension across the nation. There was uh, riots in the streets all over our country. I remember in 1967, we went to Australia. My, my parents went there to start pastoring an Italian church. And uh, I wanted to take music lessons at my parents' encouragement, and I chose the violin. And uh, <clears throat> I look like a violin player, don't I? 
I mean, you can just imagine these fat fingers on the skinny neck of a violin. But So I took violin lessons, and my mother would drive me into the city, and uh, this very austere uh, Australian-slash-English uh, teacher of mine uh, would poke fun at me, and I was just a kid. I was maybe only 10, 11 years old, and he'd poke fun at me at all the conflict that we were experiencing in the United States of America. It was a very turbulent time, and it not only made the headlines here, America was making headlines around the world. But in, in, in uh, January 14, these hippies congregated in San Francisco. It was an event that was a radical promotion of the 60s counterculture movement involving radical liberal politics, communal living, free sex, Eastern religions, and the occult. And it really did look like for a moment that maybe Christianity was going to be phased out. If you lived in that time period, it was for the church a terrible time. We saw our nation and the youth of our nation going headlong into the uh, use of all kinds of hallucinogenic drugs, uh, advocating uh, no more boundaries to sexual uh, uh, experience, and the nation had literally, and pun intended, gone to pot. It was a terrible time. It was a terrible time. But uh, <clears throat> in June the 5th to the 10th of 1967, uh, the six-day Arab-Israeli war broke out. And there was such conflict between the Cuban crisis, uh, missile crisis, Vietnam War, protesting the war, now the six-day Arab-Israeli conflict that people were constantly talking about and wondering if this was the beginning of Armageddon. End times uh, talks and conversations and seminars were being held because everything was so chaotic. The people of the day, the church of the day, honestly questioned themselves, could things get any worse? We look at the United States of America and we look at what's happened over the last 18 months and we wonder if anything could get worse. And conversation and questions start to lean once again towards that uh, uh, Phenomenal truth in Scripture that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. How many of you are ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. You want to be ready. You want to know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. During the summer of 1967, there was a social phenomenon that occurred uh, during that summer. And 100,000 young people converged again in San Francisco. They called it the Summer of Love. And uh, <clears throat> again, the constant use and abuse of uh, uh, drugs and uh, sex. And uh, Do we have that poster or did you already put the poster up of Timothy Leary? We already put it up? All right, very good. Uh, so 100,000 young people had converged again in San Francisco. And uh, on April the 4th, 1968, only a few years after his phenomenal speech, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And uh, on June 5th, 1968, Robert F. Kennedy had just won the primaries for the Democratic Party and was going to be the running contender uh, to, for, for the office of president, and he was assassinated. Uh, amazing. You know, I don't know if you can appreciate the horror and the turmoil that had struck every American citizen, irrespective of color. Here we are. Our president was murdered. A great man like Martin Luther was murdered. Robert Kennedy was murdered. We have young people demonstrating in the streets. All norms had disappeared. Barriers were being crossed, and it was like society had gotten to a point that it could never come back to normalcy again. That was America. 
And so if you think today is bad, be encouraged. Because when the enemy comes in with a flood, God will raise up a standard against the enemy. Hallelujah. Where sin abounds, grace will abound even more. And while I'm not happy about what's happening in our nation, I am excited that as I go to YouTube, as I watch different Christian organizations, there is a cry for intercession and a call for revival happening across this nation. And that is exciting because when God's people turn to heaven, God turns to earth. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. June 5th, 1968, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. August the 15th to the 18th in 1969, we have what is famous in our history, an event that took place amongst our young people called Woodstock. Now, I'm sure everybody here is familiar with Woodstock, whether you were alive back then or not. How many of you have ever heard of Woodstock? Of course. 400,000 young people converged on a little town called Bethel in upstate New York. It was 40 miles southwest of a town called Woodstock. And uh, the reason why I got the name Woodstock is because Bethel was so small, no one even knew it. And so Woodstock was the closest town. Uh, and uh, during that three-day festival of rock and roll and uh, indulgence in drugs and uh, plenty of sex. Yeah. 400,000 young people endured the rain and they just partied. That was the culture. There was nothing spiritual about the United States. Nothing that looked like revival was about to come. On May 1st, 1970, we had a huge student strike and walkout from colleges and high schools all across this nation. They emptied the classrooms in protest to the fact that President Nixon had announced that the Vietnam War was now going to be extended into Cambodia. There was distrust. There was confusion. There was anarchy. There was hate. There were fires, cars being overturned, buildings being bombed windows being broken. There was mayhem. Sounds like things we've recently experienced. I say all of this to say, hope is on the way. Amen. Amen. May 4th, May 1st, we had this great walkout. There was such a demonstration by college students and high school students across this nation that on May 4th, the same year, Kent State University, the National Guard from Ohio was called out and they opened fire on unarmed American citizens. And four college students lost their lives that day and 14 others were injured. In 1973, the Supreme Court legalized abortion. But God, in the midst of all of this, just like is happening today, and I want to encourage it to happen here, not only in this church, but in your life. In the midst of all of this turmoil, Christians got desperate enough that they started to get honest with God and start to cry out to God. You see, God never needs a majority. I said this a couple of weeks ago. God doesn't run a democracy. He runs a theocracy. In a democracy, the mob will rule. The majority rules. And that's okay when we're the majority, but when we're not the majority, we don't like it anymore. But in a theocracy, God doesn't need a majority. And so as it was in these days in the democracy of the United States of America, everything was going to hell in a handbasket. But God had a minority of men and women who were praying. Little groups of people praying all over the nation. Listen, when you are on God's side, it only takes one David to face a Goliath. When you're on God's side, it only takes 300 men together with Gideon to have a major victory. 
You see, God never moves through the majority of numbers. God will take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And so the most amazing things that God does in history, he always starts with a very simple beginning. It took one baby in a manger to bring salvation to all of humanity. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. You see, we're a faith people. We don't just have faith that we believe in Jesus Christ. Sometimes that word faith is used in a very generic way. Uh, They are people of faith. They believe in Jesus Christ as opposed to an atheist or an agnostic. No, faith goes beyond that. We are a people of faith. In the book of Daniel, Daniel makes a statement. He says, the people who know their God, they'll be strong and they will do mighty exploits. And I believe that this is a time that's ripe for mighty exploits. I believe that this is a time for the sons of God to be strong in faith. The faith that God can do this. The faith that with neither political party can accomplish, the power of the Holy Spirit can accomplish. Revival is not something just of the past. It's something that's on God's heart. We call it revival. God calls it an opportunity to get my hands on humanity again. Amen. How many of you know God wants an opportunity to get his hands on humanity? How many of you know that as God has been watching our media, he's saying, I want to get involved. These people are hurting. These people are broken. These people are confused. These people are messed up. And I want an opportunity to show them how much I love them. And when the church of Jesus feels the heart of God like that, and we start to pray, when we come into heaven, listen, what did Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer? You can pray the Lord's Prayer religiously and in a solemn way, but listen to the reality of what Jesus was talking about, because Jesus was about revolution. He said, when you pray, pray, Father, Your kingdom come and let your will happen in America, in Vietnam, in China, in Russia, in Europe. Let it happen the same way it happens in heaven. You see, when revivals start to sweep a nation, what happens is the spiritual oppression of the kingdom of darkness starts to lose its power. And the Spirit of God starts to hover over the face of the deep again. And people start to get pulled by something they never knew. And suddenly, hundreds of thousands are coming to Jesus Christ. Amen. So I've been setting the scene for you to help you understand that just prior to One of our recent great revivals, America was at the same kind of desperate crossroads that she's at right now. And if you understand the seasons of God, in the Old Testament, as the different tribes of Israel started to gather around David and they rallied around David, the Bible said that uh, the the sons of Ishakar, What they were renowned for was not the ability to fight with a sword or to throw a javelin. They weren't archers. It said they had the ability to understand the season and the times of God. And we as the church need to be people like the tribe of Ishakar who understand the times and the season. It's very important. Jesus said to the Pharisees of his days, if only you had to recognize the season that you're in, you would have welcomed the coming of your God. And I say to you, as part of the church, I say to those who watch us via live stream, listen, we need to see the signs and stop wondering. We need to see the signs and understand America and the world is ripe 
for a great move of the Holy Spirit of God. If you believe it, come on, get up and give the Lord a shout. Yeah, yes, 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 amen. Absolutely. We can look down the barrel of disaster and lose hope and be filled with fear. And you could chant all your political quips that you want. It is not gonna bring the change we need. So we could look down the barrel of disaster and be filled with fear, or we could look into the heart of God and see that man's extremities, worst crisis, worst scenarios are God's opportunities. Amen. So I said, but God... In 1967, in the district of San Francisco, a handful of young people, hippies, tired of their LSD trips and experiments, started to radically get saved. A coffee house was opened up called The Living Room, and they started a witness about Jesus. There was a little church that only had about 80 people in uh, uh, Costa Mesa and uh, called Calvary Chapel. On a good day, on a good day, they would have 80 people presently, present. And uh, as some of these hippies started to get saved, this church was wise enough to allow these <laughs> counterculture young people who didn't always smell good, <laughs> who didn't always look like we want to look. And they came in with their hair long, and they came in very different. But they were hungry for something very different. And this church was wise enough to allow them to start coming in. And they started to accept them. And they started getting born again. And so what happened was that with the Jesus movement that was beginning, those were the very beginning days, revival broke out in this one church. But it broke out in many churches and Calvary Chapel soared to over 2,000 regular attenders in six months. It became one of the largest churches in the world. In fact, it became a church movement with hundreds of churches. At the height of the revival, through Calvary Chapel alone, 200 people were being born again every week. 500 people were being baptized in water Every month for over two years, it continued that way. We have a picture. There you go. These are the beaches of California just filled with hippies, and they're getting saved. 3,000 young people would come out for a water baptism service. Isn't that phenomenal? 500 every month getting baptized, and in a crowds like that, they'd make altar calls, and more young people would get saved. And it just continued and continued. I, I already told you that at the crowds, 3,000s would gather and uh, they would preach the gospel and others would get saved. I told you, I think it was in 1966, Time Magazine's front cover said, Is God Dead? Well, there was such a spiritual revolution happening. The Holy Spirit was moving in such a powerful way that in 1971, Time Magazine put on their front cover the story of the Jesus revolution. It can happen again. And I'm not saying, oh, we need the Jesus revolution. What I'm saying is, for the last few weeks, I've been preaching about the history of revivals that has visited this nation. All I'm saying to you is, God can move any way he wants, and he often moves differently from season to season, but God is ready to do it again. Are you ready to get involved? I'm waiting for more response. Come on, give me more. Yeah! Amen. Absolutely. Because of this phenomenal revival that was happening, uh, <clears throat> they, uh, um, June 12th to the 17th in 1972, so many hippies were getting saved. And this was happening across the United States. 
that uh, Bill Bright with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ organized a special crusade in the football stadium. I believe it was a football stadium in Dallas, uh, Texas. I think it was uh, the football stadium. Uh, but it was dubbed the Christian Woodstock. Somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 young people converged on that location. They had all the bands that had uh, come up through the Jesus movement and the Jesus revival. Uh, people like Barry McGuire, and I could go through the names, and most of you would just sit there and go, yeah, really? <laughs> But there were many, many bands that were brought together, many, many speakers. Uh, <clears throat> Billy Graham was there as well. And uh, it just caused an even greater revolution uh, with this Jesus movement. And uh, hundreds and thousands continued to get saved. Yeah, there you go. Have a look at that. Wouldn't you want to see stadiums filled like that? Not for the Super Bowl, but because of Jesus and because of revival? Come on. That's pretty phenomenal. Uh, did you show all three pictures? Here we go. Here's another one. One way. <laughs> and this, this hit us in Australia. And... Uh, <laughs> We got so full of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to say some things that might sound a bit strange to some of you. Uh, I've said this to my congregation in the past, but we, we were just young people. The oldest amongst us was 17. At the time, I was 14. And we would have meetings. My dad's church was in downtown Adelaide, South Australia. And uh, we, we would drive into the city to have our youth meetings and just this very small group of Italian young people, uh, me and my brother, we were the odd ones out. We were American, American Italians. And uh, th there might be 20 of us. That would be a big number. And we'd be worshiping the Lord, and suddenly kids, Australian kids, unsaved kids, drug-using kids, lost without God, would walk in and start getting saved. Amazing things would happen. Some of them so involved in the occult and the counterculture and Eastern religions that they would come in and before we even got a chance to say hello. Just like the revivals that I've talked to you about in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, and Red River, they would hit the ground. And the next thing, demons would start manifesting. I was 13, 14 years old. The youth leader was 17 years old. And we'd pick them up and carry them out to the Sunday school room. And we would cast out these demons just like we read in the Gospels. Jesus did it. We didn't know how to do it. We didn't go to Bible school. We knew nothing. Nada. Nothing. Okay? And these demons would obey us because we were confident in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I remember one time uh, there was a young man in my father's church and unfortunately his father was a bit cruel and harsh and uh, the father professed to be a Christian but didn't act like one and that always causes turmoil. It's a conflict. It tears the logical mind from the emotional heart apart. It causes trauma. And so his father was... Bit, he was brutal with his wife, brutal with his kids. And Frankie rebelled and he, he left the church because unfortunately they, sometimes you associate that with Christianity. Even God doesn't associate that with Christianity. Christians are people who are messed up. They got washed in the blood of Jesus and now they're getting fixed up. Some choose to stay in their horrible ways. We want to be a people who will keep moving towards getting fixed up. Amen? And uh, one day, Frankie had left the church and gotten involved in the scene of the streets. We hadn't heard from him, hadn't seen him. And he rolled up into one of our meetings one day. And suddenly, this demon spirit had started to manifest through him. And we had to carry him out uh, to one of the Sunday school rooms and we're 
speaking to this demon and telling him to come out in Jesus' name and eyes wide like this and this voice is talking back to us. Remember, I'm 13, 14, the youth leader 17 and this demon's growling, I'm not coming out, he's mine. And we said, what's your name? And the demon said, dope. When we finally cast the spirit out and Frank came conscious again and was talking to us, we said, Frank, have you started using marijuana? He was horrified. How did you know? How did you know? These things are real. Mm -hmm. And there is spiritual background to more stuff than what you realize. Mm -hmm. We dabble in stuff and demons laugh. Mm -hmm. We get hoodwinked into experimentation. We get hoodwinked into logic logical arguments that say, no, this is good, this is okay. God calls something a sin not because <laughs> he's a joy breaker. God calls something a sin because he knows that activity will break us. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so this is the stuff we were experiencing. Uh, again, 14 years old, we go street witnessing. We, we got in the cars and we went to a little town outside of Adelaide called Murray Bridge. And we'd go street witnessing at Murray Bridge, this one particular occasion, and this group of bikers rolled up with their leathers, and I think they were actually hell's angels, and we were witnessing to them. And I say I think because I'm trying to remember accurately. And were we nervous? Absolutely. But we get into discussion and we're talking to them about Jesus. This is during the Jesus movement here in America. It's affecting us there in Australia. We used to import the underground Jesus people newspaper and we'd bring in a hundred copies at a time and give them out in our schools. In fact, I would walk to school and there was this huge open field just in front of our school filled with weeds and me and some of the other guys, we would go to school an hour early and we would sit in the field and have a prayer meeting so that the Holy Spirit would anoint us to preach to the kids in, in school that day. Absolutely, honest truth. I remember one time we were successful at allow, getting the principal to allow us to have a uh, school gathering in the open yard and we brought in an evangelist and he preached to the student body and kids were getting saved. They were getting full of the Holy Ghost. It was exciting. What was happening in America was happening over there. And so here we were in Murray Bridge and we're... we're you know, debating, we're talking, we're testifying to these bikers. And, you know, just like Stephen, he was a young man but full of the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you something. When you get full of God, God makes you look good. I mean, he really does. I was in my second year of high school. I was in the 10th grade. In Australia, we'd call it the 10th grade. I was a second year high school student talking with these bikers. And I'll never forget this because... It was like God just encouraged me and, and put his arms around me. And one of the bikers, we kept stumping them with answers from the word of God. And one of the bikers finally said, so what are you majoring in in college? For the first time in my life, I wanted to lie. <laughs> I didn't want to tell him I was a high school student. And uh, I kept trying to fudge the response. And finally he says, so, so what college are you going to? What are you studying? I said, oh, I, I go to Campbelltown High School. I'm in my second year of high school. You see, when the Spirit of God comes on you, God does amazing things. It's not church we need. It's an on-fire relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that will save this nation yet again. Amen. I'm going to show you a quick, short video uh, from the 700 Club of Greg Laurie, who got saved in the Jesus movement and was a fanatical part of the Jesus movement. How many of you want to see it? You want to see this? Give me, give me a good show of hands. How many of you want to see it? All right. All right. I know I'm running out of time, but this, this is really important, and it'll bless you. I got Pastor Carlos to watch it last night. I said, should I show it or not? And he texted me back. He said, after he watched it, he said, you better show it. So here we go. Let's dim the lights. 
More than five and a half million people have attended one of Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusades. And if these massive festivals with packed out crowds conjure up images of Woodstock, well, that's not a bad thing. Greg says that era kicked off the Jesus Revolution, and it can be a model for reaching the youth of today. Greg Laurie, pastor of one of the largest churches in America, gave his life to the Lord during the beginning of the Jesus Movement in the early 70s. In the past 40 years, this life that I've been living has led me to share my experiences with literally millions of people looking for truth. In his new book, Jesus Revolution, Greg Laurie, along with Ellen Vaughn, shares remarkable true stories of the Jesus Movement. He draws on important parallels with our time of spiritual apathy and downright hostility, offering hope for the next great American revival. Well, Greg Laurie joins us now for more, and we welcome you to the program today. Thank you, Terry. Great to be here. You come with such a fascinating subject for me, the Jesus Revolution. I love the Volkswagen bus. Yeah. I'll paint it up on the front. We're going to make that in real life. That's a, a design that we did I in love Photoshop, that. but we're actually creating one in real life as well for fun. Makes a statement. Yeah. <laughs> you and I both came to the Lord in the Jesus movement, as it was called at that time in 1970s, 60s, 70s. That was a very turbulent time in our country. Where were you at before you came to Christ? Well, I was without God. I mean, my mother was a beautiful woman, literally a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. Mm. She was married and divorced seven times. She was a raging alcoholic. I had to grow up quickly and sort of almost be a parent to my own mom because she was that lost. And so at the ripe old age of 17, I was asking the big questions of life, like what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? I looked at my mother's world and I knew the answer was not in the adult world as I knew it. And then I got into drugs along with a lot of other kids in the late 60s. And, and of course, those drugs did not solve our problems. They created new problems. So I was disillusioned with that as well. So for me, it was like a process of elimination, seeing where the truth wasn't. And then on my high school campus, uh, there was a little Bible study of Christians meeting together on the front lawn singing songs about God. And so I, I joined them sort of far enough away where I wouldn't be thought of as one of them, but close enough to eavesdrop in the conversation. That was the first time I heard the gospel in a way I understood. Where was the church at at that point? What was happening in the church? I think the church was by and large disconnected and missing the boat. The church was answering questions no one was asking, and they weren't answering the questions that were being asked. When John Lennon was uh, famously quoted to say, the Beatles are more popular than Jesus, there was some actually some truth, some to, truth that to that for many kids. And so I think the church sort of caught up. And, and because the church was not really connecting to this generation. We don't want those kids in here. We don't want the long hair in here. You can't come in here barefoot. And that was a time when the church should have flung the doors wide open because here's literally a generation. What are they searching for? Peace, love, They're joy. Hungry. What does the yeah. gospel offer? Those things and much more. And I think for the churches, Terry, that opened their doors to the Jesus movement, they experienced revival. And for the churches that did not, they missed it. Yeah. What started that revival then? I mean, my experience with Christ, though I was was nurtured in the church after, yeah. did not come from the church. How did it start? It's a great question. I don't know if I can answer it exactly. It's sort of like little, little fire started here so. and there. But, um, you know, one person said, if you can explain it, God didn't do it. So I don't know if you can exactly explain how and where it started, but everyone knows it started. Yeah. It, in my experience in California, two people came together, a guy named Chuck Smith, who was a middle-aged pastor of a relative small church and a young hippie guy who became a Christian who was named Lonnie Frisbee. When they came together, it was like nitro met glycerin and it sort of exploded. And so that was the initial phase of the Jesus movement as I saw it, but it happened on the East Coast, it happened in Texas, it happened in Europe, in places. So it was very interesting where it popped up, but it was just a spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit around the world, but especially in America. You know, I've tried to explain it to my kids that yeah. 
I was singing professionally at the time and, and so spent some time in Los Angeles. And you could drive down the freeway and somebody would honk their horn and go like this. Yes, it's true. And everybody knew it meant one way to That's salvation right. through Christ. It was bizarre. Yes. It was just the, the culture that we were involved in was permeated yeah. with kids who were ecstatic about finding yeah. the truth. What's the similarity? Do you see some between yeah. where young people were at then and where they're at now? Yeah, I really do. I think the country was unraveling at that point. Uh, the, the year Vietnam, the, for one thing. Was, well, yeah. <laughs> 1968 was the big year. You have Martin Luther King assassinated. You have Robert F. Kennedy assassinated. And he had won the the uh, he would have been probably the president. He had won the primary mm -hmm. for the Democrats and he was in killed in Los Angeles, California. Young men coming home from Vietnam in body bags, riots in the streets, huge racial division. Uh, it looked like the country was falling apart. Add to this the drug epidemic, the sexual uh, revolution. So it's all coming together at one time. It's looking so dark. It can almost be summed up by two Time magazine covers. One in the late 60s, ominous black cover, reverse out red letters is God dead question mark about three to four years later a psychedelic image of Jesus on the cover Jesus revolution what a difference a revival makes Amen. you know the reason I wrote this book Terry uh, Jesus revolution is because it's been said that the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival so I thought I want to tell the story uh, but in a way people understand and I wrote it with Ellen Vaughn, who's an outstanding writer, and she really uh, helped me make this a, a very a thorough book, a little bit of a history lesson, but it takes you there as well. <laughs> I love that picture of Ellen on the screen right now. So, but it comes down to this, it is I wrote it to a young person. I didn't write it to someone my age, though many my age will read it, and older even. But I wrote it as though I were sitting across a cup of coffee at a table with a millennial, saying to them, look, this happened to my generation, I pray it happens for you as well. Here's what took place. And because I think there are takeaway truths from then and now. I'm, I'm sorry, you asked a question, similarities. It was the country coming apart at the seams. Yeah. But I feel like this generation, uh, the millennials, are looking for authenticity. They're looking for community. They're not attracted to slick production. They're not attracted to the mega church model. They want something that's real. And I think we have what they're looking for in a relationship with Christ. Is the church ready? For a movement like that? Some are, and some maybe are not. You know, I think it depends. You know, for the churches that opened the doors to the Jesus movement, they experienced it. But some churches did not open their doors. Yeah. They said no to those kids. So I think we have to be asking ourselves the question first, am I ready for revival? Yes. You know, I once asked Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, if he thought we would ever see another Jesus revolution movement. And he said, I don't know if we're desperate enough. I think if God's people get desperate enough to pray and follow the template of 2 Chronicles 7.14, which says, God speaking, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Are we desperate enough to pray? Maybe another way to ask it is, do I want revival in my own life? Revival is just returning to original condition, a close relationship with Christ. It's, it's a powerful message. It's a word for today. And we uh, applaud your leadership Thank in you. even bringing us to the place of considering all of this. I want you to know Greg's book with Ellen Vaughn is called Jesus Revolution. It's got the great bus on the front. It's available wherever books are sold. You can pick up a copy in stores nationwide. It's a wonderful message. I'd love to see it. Do it again, God. Do it again. Amen. Great to have Thank you, you here. I am so excited in my spirit because I believe we're ripe for a move of God. I really do. There are some things that are happening behind the scenes I can't tell you yet. But supernaturally, God is preparing even locally the foundations for revival. I can't say it because it's live streamed and I don't want things to get out prematurely. But I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, just like the last few weeks, things keep progressing, and I'll share them with you. When I watched this, I thought, man, I'd like to be able to buy a copy of that book for everybody in the church. And so I went to Amazon, it's $14.99. And uh, then I Googled it, and it's $14.99 a book. And I thought, oh, Lord, that's, that's a little bit steep. And then I thought to go to christianbookstore.com. They have an 81% sale. 
every family who comes next week, I've had them speed delivered. I should have them by Wednesday. Every family who comes, the church is going to donate your family a copy of this book. I want you to read about revival. I want you to get the feel of what it looks like and what God can do. Sometimes we're stumped because we don't have a picture of what God can do. I want to give you a picture of what God can do. I want to take it out of the Old Testament and out of the New Testament and bring it into our recent past and let you see what God has done here. We've talked about the first great awakening in America and the second, but that's even a long time ago for our imaginations. We are in a cultural situation just like they were back then. And I want you to see God is ready to move again. So if you come next week, I promise you, providing the delivery gets here, every family will get a copy of this book absolutely free because I believe God wants to move yet again. Amen. Are you excited? Amen. All right, come on, let's stand. Most important thing in any one of our services is to make an opportunity for people to ask Jesus Christ into their heart. You see, you could join this church and it won't necessarily change your life. You could get membership here and uh, <laughs> have podcasts of Pastor Rob's sermons, but it isn't going to get you into heaven. Jesus made it very clear. That it's not a religion that'll save you. It's a relationship with God through him, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. He still is the way. I am the truth. When all the lies and all the fads finally wear out and people are disillusioned and disappointed, the truth of Jesus Christ remains. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And that life that everyone's really looking for is wrapped in sometimes the most uncomely wrapping. Too simple. It's in a manger. It's in a book. It's in a simple prayer. Jesus, would you come into my heart? I need you to come in me and live in me. Right now, would you close your eyes before we leave this place? If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, the Jesus revolution starts one person at a time. When Christ comes into us, he starts to change us. He starts to build the best us that we could possibly be. He starts to connect us with our spiritual destiny yeah if you've never asked Jesus in your heart it's as simple it really is as simple as being honest and giving him the invitation to come into your life so before I close I'm going to give you the opportunity to make that invitation if you want to ask Jesus Christ in your heart, I don't care what you've done. Jesus doesn't care what you've done in the past. He cares about who you are, whether you're in a mess or whether you think you have your life together. If you want a relationship with him, he will come into your life. Every eye closed. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, come on, raise your hand right across this auditorium. Raise your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I need this. I want Christ. I want Christ. Those of you who are watching right now in your living room, come on. God is, <laughs> He's not prejudiced. He'll come to the hardest, most broken the most radical of people. That's what was so different about Jesus. The religious world couldn't handle him back then. He broke their norms. And he was willing to associate with the 
unassociable people. In your living room, you can say yes to Jesus. One last time as we close, I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. If you have raised your hand, those of you who have, whether it's by live stream or here in this auditorium, just repeat this prayer. It's just the beginning of something wonderful. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe you. I need you. Jesus Christ, come into my life. Here it is. Have at it. Take me. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of all my sins and mistakes. And take hold of the steering wheel of my life. Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. And I accept you right now. Thank you for dying for me on that cross. Thank you. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to reach out to me straight after the service or one of our many workers, someone on the door, Pastor Tom, Pastor Jan, Pastor Carlos, Pastor Steve, the guy with the guitar. We would love to sit with you and just pray with you for a moment and uh, encourage you in this newfound decision. It's a life changer. Amen. And why don't you turn around and give someone an air high five or a real high five, whatever you're comfortable with. Give someone a hello. Amen. I want to encourage you, come on back next week. Listen, our prayer meetings have been increasing. Saturday mornings we have prayer meetings. Tuesdays to Friday we have prayer meeting. Sunday morning before church. Was there a bigger number there this morning, Pastor Jan? Come and join us for prayer every Sunday morning before church. God bless you guys. Nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. If I could connect with you, that would be awesome. God bless you. Have an awesome week.